a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. Technology, COVID and changing workplace requirements means that our workplaces can feel like they are in a constant state of flux. And as leaders, we are always under pressure to stay ahead of the curve and predict trends before they happen. As if this wasn't enough pressure, we also need to lead our teams through periods of change and upheaval, which is no small task. My guest today, Nicole Sheffield, is one of the most dynamic leaders in corporate Australia. Today, Nicole is responsible for over 4,300 post offices, and before Aussie Post, Nicole held a number of influential leadership roles in print, broadcast and digital media. She drove remarkable reform as the Chief Digital Officer for News Corp Australia and looked after brands such as Taste, Vogue, Donahay and Country Style. Fearless, funny and driven, Nicole is a much-admired executive who has made a career out of transforming traditional businesses during times of huge structural changes and upheaval. Nicole, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. Thank you, Helen. You are working at Australia Post right now, which is very much in the news, and I want to come to it, but... Can you give us a bit of an overview of your career to now? My career has been very eclectic. Um, It's not something that I planned. I, you know, did okay at school and uh, went and did a law degree and was a rubbish lawyer and so ended up on a graduate program at Telstra and ended up in the contact centre and, you know, loved talking to customers but uh, fell in accidentally into marketing and, uh, and then ended up in publishing of all places and, uh, via online channels. So I started my career very early on at Telstra Big Pond and then uh, at Pacific, uh, general manager online, and then became a publisher. So I went around it the unusual way. Most people go to traditional media and then go to digital media, and I went the other way around um, and had a wonderful time at Pacific but realised that I needed to understand video and so went into a great role at uh, Foxtel at the time, running the lifestyle channels. Uh, learned a lot about video and uh, learned a lot about television and broadcast and then ended up at News Corp and uh, as CEO of News Life Media, which was kind of an amalgamation of news magazines and news digital media at the time and ran that business, which was fantastic for a number of years. And uh, and then after uh, after finishing that stint, went and stayed as Chief Digital Officer of News Corp and obviously news.com.au, taste.com.au, many iconic Australian digital brands and loved that, absolutely loved that, but decided it was time for another change. So did the very unusual um, shift to Australia Post. And uh, here I now run um, the consumer business of Australia Post, unusual title, Executive General Manager, Community and Consumer, doesn't seem to mean a lot, but the, the job really is running the consumer business, which 
is best known for the four and a half thousand post offices that we have um, running those and the contact centres, the marketing, the digital and the data. So a lot of our apps. So when you're tracking parcels, a lot of people are tracking parcels at the moment, all of those products and channels, um, as well as our corporate responsibility. So our sustainability, agenda, environment, etc. So it's a really broad eclectic group of assets and uh, I'm in the front line of customers, which means in a way I've kind of come a full circle from the days when I was answering customers' calls in the contact centre at Telstra to now the fact that I'm really often just answering customers' calls because they've escalated and escalated and eventually it makes my way to me to try and make them feel comfortable about whatever issues they have. And, you know, we do touch many areas of this country, particularly regional Australia. So many of our towns pretty much just have a pub and a post office. So um, people get quite emotional and connected to their post office. And uh, so it's a really, it's a really important role and I really enjoy it, but it's a very eclectic way to do a career path. So what what skills do you think that you have? It strikes me that you're incredibly adaptive and that you follow what's interesting, but you obviously were also very aware early on in your career that you needed to be um, across the, the transformation side of business to understand the, the digital landscape. How would you describe uh, your actual skill set in in terms of getting to where you got to now. Yeah, I look, oh, look, Helen. I, I mean, I don't do a lot of that sort of self reflection, but I do think that I've always been incredibly curious. I've had a lot of great mentors, and I kind of don't focus on what I know. I focus on what I don't know and what I need to learn. And so every role I've taken, I've gone, is this a new skill set? So when I moved from digital as general manager online at Pacific, which was, you know, launching websites and doing lots of wonderful things to actually becoming the publisher of the youth titles and Better Homes and Gardens, I was learning the new skill of magazine publishing. But I understood audiences and I understood readers and I understood users And then when I, you know, moved the shift to general manager of lifestyle channels at Foxtel, I understood all of those things, but I had to learn video and understood programming and production and learn those things. And I think now when I look at what I'm doing at Australia Post, I mean, I run the biggest retail network in the country. I mean, 4,447 post offices to be exact. Many of them are franchises or what we call licensees. That is huge. I don't know retail but I understand customers and I understand change and I understand how you have to work with people. And I love that, but I always make sure the roles that I take on are transformative, but more importantly, there's something in there that I'm going to learn and grow from because they're all, you add to your skill set all the time. You never stop learning. This podcast is about leadership skills and understanding what your skills are that has led to your success. I'm interested, you keep saying, I understand people. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I, I guess what I probably should say in the in the very marketing speak is I, I get consumers, you know, and what that means is in our old school, whether it was, you know, media days, you would spend a lot of time looking at ratings or you'd look at readership or you'd look at data, you know, we call it data now, but you understood what people were reading, watching, viewing, experiencing, and you started to identify trends. And, you know, the true gift, I think, in when you're working in a consumer-led business, whether you're whatever that consumer might be, a reader, a viewer, etc., you are spending a lot of time trying to predict what they want next. 
And and the gift is not giving them what they want now. It's identifying the next big hit or the next trend or where the zeitgeist is. And so I think for me where I've really enjoyed my career is when I've had that challenge and that opportunity. And if you look at Australia Post, I wasn't joining an organisation that had this legacy of 211 years and was in every town in Australia and every postcode, even though I was. I was joining an organisation that had to change really quickly because e-commerce was coming and we were the last mile. You know, we were the delivery, whether it's to the front door or to the post office. And having spent a lot of time in digital, I understood the power of distribution. And that is what Australia Post has in spades. So understanding where that would go. Now, of course, it's gone much faster than anyone would have predicted a la pandemic. So I guess for me, I thought it'd be a five-year journey and two years in, we're coping with volumes that we never would have expected. But, you know, when you look at yourself as a leader, it was actually trying to work through how do you actually understand what that next trend is and what role you need to learn to actually be able to deliver on that trend. So you were a very powerful and leading figure in Australian media. You had an incredible record in um, the digital space, in, a, in media companies which were not renowned uh, for digital transformation in Australia. We were, we were behind in many ways, but you were a shining light in that space. You leave News Corp, one of the most powerful media companies in the world, what goes through your mind? What what do you what do you think about? And I'm really conscious at the moment there are a lot of women uh, thinking about redundancy or being made redundant and mm. are having to rethink their entire careers. So, what went through your mind, and why did you take the Australia Post job? Yeah, I honestly say to all those women that are listening to this you are going to have to do a lot of self-reflection in your career and you've got to work out what is your passion and where you feel you're also being your best self. And I had a fantastic decade at News. I learned so much. I worked with great people. I definitely delivered a lot of change and I'm very proud of the results and the digital audiences we attracted and, and actually how I grew as a leader. But to be brutally honest, Helen, the last year there, I wasn't at my best self. And you have to look at yourself and say, is that the leader you want to be? And are you bringing your best self forward? So for me, actually, it it was kind of a very long exit out of news. Um, So, you know, it was one of those things where you kind of spend a lot of time, oh, but I'm really happy. Oh, but I know I'm... uh," And you go back and forth and that's normal because any change is confronting and we all like to be in an area where we've got a secure job and we know what we're about and actually that big leap into the unknown... Uh, whether you choose it or it it happens to you, is always confronting. I did not leave news with the view of saying that I would ever end up in a government-owned organisation. That was never the plan. In fact, I left news with sort of a goal of the type of organisation. Like a lot of people, you should have a pros and cons list or a must list and, and that should be around your strengths and weaknesses. And top of that list, I wanted to be a leader of a technology-based business ideally content-based, but I definitely did not want another role in media. I felt that I had done that, but on the pros list was I wanted a role where I was leading people because I enjoy leading people and I, I, I get a lot out of working with people. And so for me, that was really important. But the other side of it, I also didn't want to um, work for a big corporate, which had lots of layers. So 
Did I end up at a technology company? Not really. Did I end up not working for a big corporate? Uh, I did. In fact, a government, line, what, you know, so sometimes those pros and cons lists are actually not that useful because you think you know who you are. But interestingly, I did take a bit of time off, not as much as I would have liked. It was only 10 weeks before leaving news and starting at Australia Post. But about four to five weeks of that time out, um, when I started having coffees and thinking about what I wanted to do next, you know, I really had this firm view. And for me, the minute I started to think about the opportunities Australia Post offered me as an executive, you know what? I thought, I'm here to learn. And sure, I'm not CEO of a small startup, which is what I probably thought I'd be doing, some sort of tech startup or something like that with equity and all of this stuff. But you know what? That can come. I'm not in a hurry to be a CEO. I'm not in a hurry to lead a big organisation. I'm I want to be a great one. And a great one means you constantly have to be a better leader and you have to be true to yourself. And you have to work in an environment which often is challenging. And certainly being a government business enterprise, you have challenges that I never encountered before. Um, You have completely different culture. You know, news is a fantastic can-do culture, but it is quite aggressive. Australia Post is a wonderful, nice culture. Everyone is so polite and so um, their hearts are full, but at times it can be passive aggressive. It doesn't like change. So it says yes, and then goes back to doing what it did yesterday. And so getting change in that type of culture, I had to learn a lot quickly because I was so used to going, you're going to do it. We're going to smash them. We're going to get there. And all of a sudden you go, you could never do that at Australia Post. You know, you've got to take people on the journey and it is slow, but it's very rewarding. You've just been really candid there about your ambition though. Like you're not shirking the fact that you want to be CEO of a company. Yeah. That that was the plan. When you you came out of news, you went, right, my next thing is I want to run a company. So what what takes me to that next step to not just be one, but to be a really good one? Yeah, I know. And I, I, I don't share that very often, and, but I know when I do share it, people go like, and I don't, I've not shared it publicly before, but, you know, when I say to the chairman of our board or to Christine Holgate, my current CEO, well, part of the reason I joined you is I want to learn how to be a great CEO. So, you know, and, and people go, that's just so forward, but I'm, I'm, you know, it may not happen. That's not the end of the world. I've got plenty of other things. I've loved the journey. But so, I, I know, um, and uh, I've seen it happen in front of me, a, a male executive at a senior level saying to the CEO, I want your job and I want to run a media company of this size at some point. I've seen that happen multiple occasions as mm. I've stood in the room, but they're men. I've mm. never seen a woman just say, oh, yeah, no, my next step is to be CEO of a fairly reasonable-sized company. So you're even a little bit uncomfortable saying it, but you're not that uncomfortable. Why? Why Why are you not that uncomfortable with that? I think it's important to be honest with yourself and you've got to be honest with others. And you know what? I mean, I know what I want to do. That doesn't necessarily mean, like my pros and cons list, that is the right next thing for me. But I do know that is the goal that I have set myself. I think it's really important for many reasons. I've, I've had this really rounded career. I've got a lot out of it. I've made lots of great friends. I've made good decisions. I've made some bad ones. I've made some big mistakes and I've learnt from those. And I love to lead people. Mm. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I can, you know, somehow bring those things together. But it I'm not in a hurry. I think that's the thing that people think. People think if you're already talking about your next role 
or you're ambitious. I have had so many men particularly over the years go, Nicole, you're so ambitious. <laughs> like it's a bad thing. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm ambitious to get to news.com.au to number one. I was ambitious to ensure that, you know, we would get kids spot to where it needed to be. I was ambitious to actually make a hell of a lot more revenue for Australia Post. And the Post Office Network is absolutely doing an enormously wonderful job at the moment and and literally breaking all records for the last two decades, not just the last decade. And it isn't just the three months of COVID. They've been doing it for 12 months consistently growing business, growing our banking services, growing our sending services, focused. We have high engagement scores. You know, I'm a big believer in communicating and going out. It's very hard with the pandemic because I like to go out and meet with the people and hear their problems and find out what we need to do. But all of that is ambition. Ambition isn't just about career. Ambition is how you show up every day. And so for me, that's just who I am. So I'm, I'm kind of not embarrassed about it. I probably should be, but I'm not really. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't, I don't think you should be at all. And, and I often, well, I've learned from, from leading people that if someone walks into my office and says, Mine, I'd really like my next job to be X, if you get told what somebody wants to do, uh, you'll often help them do it. Yeah. Right? So by you saying to Christine Holgate, your boss... I'd like to be a good CEO. She's going to help you do that because mm. that's just what a leader already does. So mm. I encourage people in my teams to definitely tell me what they want and where they want to go. Christine Holgate, you're wor- working for a female leader. Yeah. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, I have actually. And I have to tell you that all of the female leaders that I have worked for, it's been a long time. So my early job at Telstra, I worked for an incredible female leader called Judy Sladio, who is now the CEO of the National Red Cross. Uh, But at the time, she was general manager of whatever the area was at Big Pond that we were running at the time. And I was the graduate running around and she, she inspired me and is still a mentor. And I learned so much from her. And I also worked for a wonderful lady by the name of Jackie Cook in an in an earlier job, who also is a, is a great friend and colleague and mentor. And so it's been a long time between female leaders. So working for Christine is fantastic because we lead differently. You know, I don't think we all, we don't lead better and you can't just say it's gender. But, uh, you know, I just tend to find that with women, we are far more open. We tend to be more creative and, well, maybe it's just the ones I work with. We like to laugh. And I I get the sense that um, we are very um, collaborative. You know, we support each other. And I feel with a female boss, my experience has been they're all about helping you get to whatever that you need to do or what you need to be successful in what you're doing. And it's been fantastic. So what sort of leader are you? Um, well, I always think you need to ask my team that, don't you? It's always such a weird question. But I, look, I think I'm an extremely open leader. I'm a loud leader. I'm a loud person. Um, I'm an extrovert by nature. I'm very passionate and I am creative by nature. So, you know, if you give me a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint, I'll do the PowerPoint and the storytelling all the time over the spreadsheet. But I, I, I definitely know how to read the spreadsheet and, and know what levers to pull. I would hope that my team see me as a high collaborator because I don't think leadership is a singular activity anymore. It is about how you work as a team. And sometimes it's not just the teams you lead, it's the team you're part of. So the relationship I have with my executive colleagues at Australia Post is very, very strong. And that's something that I had to learn when I left news, that actually your team is not just the team you lead. Your team is the people you work with. And that you as a team 
have to work together for a shared success. So my success is my colleague's success and their success is ours and how we help each other achieve our shared goals is really critical. And I think for me that has been a great learning and it's a leadership skill that I have really try very hard to bring every day. Did you have to work on any of those skills and did you, if, if so, did you seek help? Yeah, I did. I had to do a lot of work. Um, when I left news, sort of part of my leaving as well was kind of going, you know what, I'm going to get a coach and do a 360 and give me all the warts and all, everything that I've done, the stories. And some of the things were really, really, you know, heartbreaking to read because actually sometimes you think you're doing something in from a good place and people found it quite, obnoxious or offensive or when you were giving feedback, your bluntness was often seen as being cruel. And so, you know what, that's how people feel and perception is really important. So even if that's not your intention, if that's how it's received, you have to learn from that. And actually the work that I did set me up, I think, to try and be able to deliver at Australia Post. But I made a big misstep early, early on in that career shift. And my feedback early on was you can't bring those media ways here. Mm. They're not going to work and you are going to have to stop with the the performance focus because performance is not about a result. Performance is about how we get the result. Now, I'm still probably a little bit too results oriented because I woke up every day going, what are the ratings? What's the traffic? (laughs) Who won? Are we still number one? What have we done? Like it's just in my DNA. That's what I do. I wake (laughs) up and go, yes. (laughs) But I've learned that actually you don't measure it by today's results. You measure it by the long, the journey and how people feel they're going to get there. Now, I still would like to crank it up a bit more at Australia Post. (laughs) So, And they all just go, oh, my gosh, what's she on? (laughs) Would you describe your ability to communicate as one of your key strengths as a leader as well? Absolutely. I think it is my strength, but as I've got older and I guess more senior and in different roles, I've learned that sometimes you just have to dial it back and you just have to step back a moment and go, how is this going to be received? Because for someone else receiving this information is going to be a big game changer because they've been working on this particular project for three months and you've just come and gone, that doesn't make sense. So there's ways to tell someone it's not working and it probably won't have the outcome or it's not going to get the investment they need. And that's what I've really, I think, worked very much on. It's not how much I communicate, it's just when to dial it up and dial it down. So tell me then, what are the qualities that you think make a good leader? I think leadership comes in all shapes and sizes. I think the minute you try and define what makes a good leader, you've already minimised it because I have seen good leaders. I've, you know, worked for incredibly amazing leaders like Kim Williams, fantastic, passionate, smart, focused, articulate. A lot of people found him very intimidating. But for me, his leadership style drove me, focused me, helped me deliver. I've worked for leaders. I am working for an incredible leader now with Christine Holgate. Passionate, connects with people. An amazing orator can just stand up and hold an audience for a very long period of time. You know, but many people, you know, want to put it into a project plan and want, you know, try and, you know, find, would like it to be more organised. And art for me, it's perfect. For others, it's like, where's the Gantt chart? It's like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, and then I've had other leaders which are actually very 
calm and very methodical and I've worked really well with them because I've watched them and gone, okay, I understand now how I've got to, I've got to try and communicate so we work together, but they've actually helped structure me. So, you know, I, I think it depends. You know, I mean, I, I look at, for example, Julian Clark, when he came in to become CEO of News Corp, I mean, I think at the time he was 72. He'd been retired for six years. Uh, it was quite a shock, but Kim had left and there was a vacuum and, and obviously Rupert had decided that he was going to put someone in that was trusted, that had a long history with the organisation. And I remember I we'd got news.com.au to number one. Newslife Media was doing great. We were doing amazing things. We'd done the taste deal. I'd just done the joint venture to launch Medium Rare Content Agency with Sally and Jerry. And I thought, how am I ever going to explain this to a 72-year-old who's been in retirement for six years? Now, he used to just go, oh, slow down there, slow down. <laughs> I had some of the most fabulous conversations. I felt supported. And as a leader, he didn't pretend to understand what I was passionate about, but he reminded me that I had to slow down. He reminded me that not everyone was on the same journey and that a lot of the legacy print history was really important to the fabric of the organisation and was really important because they were the brands that our audiences were connecting with. And some of those conversations were incredibly, you know, inspiring. And and so I guess I don't know what makes a great leader, but I think all of those things are really important. The one thing that I think that it shared amongst all of them is an openness, an openness to feedback, an openness and honesty to your strengths and to their strengths and to your weaknesses and their weaknesses. And in many instances, I think great leaders are real, you know, and whatever that real is, you know, there's a sense about them that is very honest. You're also giving me the impression that you think you can learn to be a great leader. Yeah. Can you be born one or do you have to work at it? Look, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of great leaders that I'm sure that have been born, but there's also many, many great athletes that just because you're born with an athletic ability doesn't mean you have to, you don't train every day. And I think that's my point. You know? The more time I spend in this, behind this microphone talking to people like you, the more I think, yeah, you might have half the skills or even three quarters of the skills, but if you don't take the time to step back and look at what you're doing and how it could be better you'll never be really good as a leader. And it, all it takes is a bit of time and you can actually, you know, hit the hit the moon rather than kind of just have your team kind of rumbling all the time about yeah. what you're good at and what you're not good at. What I, I'm also interested in your view on is criticism mm. because, you know, you make someone redundant and the first thing that person always says is, oh, well, I understand, but I didn't like the way they did it. So there's always a criticism of a of leadership style. Yeah. That they don't like that particular bit of your style. You're either too blunt or you're not blunt enough or you, you're too much of an extrovert or you're too much of an introvert or your door's open or your door's never open. How do you judge the criticism that is worth taking notice of and the criticism that actually drives you and has got you there in the first place? Look, I think all feedback is welcome. And there are some days where I will go... I'll get to the end of the day. I'm like, no feedback allowed. I'm just, thank you for all your feedback today. I'm not taking feedback from customers, from my team, from Christine, the board, anyone, no feedback. I'm That door's closed because there's a point where it's exhausting. 
But my my view is I don't see anything really as a criticism anymore. I just see it as feedback. Now, the way that feedback can be delivered can be quite confronting and that's often when you think that, well, that was criticism. But I I try really hard to take away the emotion and, and I think a lot of that's come with the coaching um, and to say, okay, the the feedback on this one is I made this person feel like um, I wasn't being fair or I was too quick to make a decision. You know, I mean, that's often feedback I get. You know, you, you're too rash. You made a decision too quickly and I had so much more to tell you and you'd already decided by the second slide that uh, this isn't quite right, which I tend to do because it's like, <laughs> can we move it on? Um, but, uh, you know, and that's fair feedback because a lot of people put a lot of work into it. Now, my feedback always tends to be is can we do it in five slides? We love slides at Australia Post. We love presentations, PowerPoint or perish. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have to tell you that there has to be a more succinct way of telling your message because a consumer doesn't have five slides. If they don't see it and understand, want to feel it, touch it, buy it, un- you know, then you kind of haven't delivered um, something that people will want to buy or, or, or watch or be part of. So for me, you know, look, I, I've definitely uh, am always appreciative of feedback and there are some days where you really, you get to the top and just go, I can't do this anymore. But I just feel like you, you shouldn't be looking at criticism all the time. It's a balance as well, right? I mean, I think the really good people are great at saying, this is what I really liked about what you've just shown me, but I think this is where we might not quite hit the mark. You know, if you're just constantly giving people feedback on where they're not going to hit the mark, then they're going to feel like they can't ever hit the mark. And there's always plenty of good in something that isn't going to work. There's, I mean, I, you know, I mean, having spent a long time in digital, the core of digital is, you know, learning. It's learning through fails. You know, we would have, I would remember the taste team, you know, would sit there, the product team, and they'd be so excited when there was a bug. Because a bug wasn't a negative thing. A bug is we found the bug before the customer has. So now we've got to find the root cause of the bug and fix the bug. But in testing, that's actually, that's a really good thing. Where's the fail? Where's the fail? We're learning, we're learning, we're getting better software or we're building a better digital asset before it goes live. So I think that we don't tend to do that normally in the way we operate. We think that a fail is a fail and you know, I think our children are much better at it. My children are not have no issue. They're constantly reminding me that, you know, it's a journey, Mum, so I've got to see today. I'm like, you've got to see all year. Can we push that up a bit? Um, but, um, you know, I, I think it's that, it's, that, it's that constant sense of, okay, this isn't a negative. It's actually just going to make the end product better that you've got to try and think about. You've already said that, you look at the data, you get the consumer, you get people. Can you give us a bit of an insight into what you're seeing now uh, and where we're all going? In terms of the trends that I'm seeing, I don't think anything will be particularly a surprise to anyone. But what we're seeing is a massive drive back to local. And we're seeing that in a phenomenal pace. So what we're seeing is 
Australians are not in their CBDs. They're back in their suburban shopping centres. They're back in their regional towns. We're seeing the love of local produce. We're moving back to local in a very, very big way. And there's a celebration of both regional and Australia that is coming. So to really hit the zeitgeist, um, you know, I, you know, when I first spoke to Christine about doing the job and she said, what do you think we need to do from a marketing perspective? I said, you've got to bring back the Australia into Australia Post. I mean, you've got Australia in your brand and yet everyone keeps calling it Post. I mean, how is Post? Post not the magic. Australia is. And I think when I look at what's happened during this period of time, the Australian iconic values that you hold as a brand or as a business are very, very important. And if you have a local and a regional element to that, it's really not just celebrated. I think it's something that people want to share and be part of. I think the other big trend that I'm seeing at the moment is also, you know, it it feeds from the e-commerce trend, but it really is a sense of shopping for now. You know, it's the now. um, And it is that sense of nothing's too far away. I can do, I can actually digitally, I've really moved from being a digital voyeur to actually being a digital participant. And that participation doesn't need to be gaming, which it had been for years, or watching Netflix or Stan. It actually can be now having a very strong connection to Cotton On because I really need my activewear, you know. And so, and and we know when they really need their activewear. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, but I think that that sense is, is really important. And I think that the third big um, sort of big trend that we're seeing at the moment is this very, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I love this trend. It's at the heart of who I am, but a sense of inclusivity. And inclusivity isn't just about gender or race or culture. It is actually about age. So we're seeing generations actually be connected in ways we've never seen. We're seeing people, you know, we've got this seniors pen power club where we, we literally launched it, I think it was a couple of months ago, but we're seeing, you know, senior citizens in nursing homes actually writing to not just kids in schools but to other seniors and we're putting them together and this connection, you know, and this inclusivity. We're seeing, you know, we do a lot of work with um, Indigenous literacy and how we, and that isn't just about in reading and writing in the physical sense, it's also in the digital sense. I think inclusivity in terms of cultures and pulling down barriers and I think this sense of people wanting to know the history and and be interested in the cultural foundations and what it all means is fascinating. And as we as a, a globe are facing, I think probably, you know, not just a, an enormous pandemic, but we are seeing the major shift and we're not going to be able to get on a plane easily and, and we, but we still want to know about Paris, you know, how we do that and how we feel a sense of cultural connection to the rest of the world is going to be really interesting. And I think that sense of inclusivity and being part of that is really important. There is one last trend actually just popped into my head, which I should share. And I think that's that the home has shifted significantly. And we've seen that in a way that, again, we wouldn't predict it. I mean, the fundamentally, the home was the place you relaxed. It was the place that you, you know, um, was your sanctuary. And now your home is the place that you work. It's the place that you get educated 
It's also probably your mini gym because we're buying a lot of equipment. I think the sense of what role the home has uh, is going to shift significantly. But it's, it's, I mean, it's a crazy time. When you're looking at trends, I mean, there are so many that have just accelerated. And as I said earlier, things that we were probably predicting would be 2024, 2025, we're seeing now in 2020 um, in terms of e-commerce volumes, in terms of how much people are consuming, buying online, share of wallet. You know, there was a whole generation of people that we never thought would really embrace digital in their lifetime. Uh, My mum's one of them and, you know, she's FaceTiming me every day. I mean, she didn't have a mobile phone two years ago and now she can FaceTime. So anyway, so there's lots of wonderful trends and I think that's it's an exciting time but it's important to know what trend matters to you and to what you're going to do with that trend, you know, because I get a lot of data. I get a lot of people and analysts and researchers and I love reading these documents. And then at the end it's like, well, what's the so what? What does that mean? It's only when you can take that and go, what does it mean for what I'm trying to build or connect or do? I'm interested to know if you were, what your advice would be to young women in the workplace right now. They've got a degree, they've done really well at at uh, school, but they are looking at potentially difficult job market, um, but potentially also quite a different work-life balance arrangement. Look, my advice uh, to all women, uh, but particularly to those starting out, is um, follow your passion, have some goals. You can change those goals, but, you know, some people call that ambition. Others will call them just goals, targets, dreams. But most importantly, don't lose sight of who you are in all of it. And most importantly, don't give up because there will be many, many rocky times. There'll be many opportunities where you'll start something and go, this isn't what I thought it was. Or actually, you know what, I've just had a baby and I really love this baby and I just want to stay home and I'll just take five years off or 10 years out it's really hard to come back in. And I actually think for many women, I one of the biggest, you know, I have so many over the years that have come in and said, I'm pregnant. And I go, yay, because, you know, I've got four kids and I love kids. They're absolutely fabulous. But they're also absolute pain at times too. So it's really good to have a job and get away from them. <laughs> but that's not what I say because when they're starry-eyed and pregnant, I say the most important thing you do is stay connected to the workplace. And whether that is just you bring the baby in and or you have a coffee with someone or you're on a Facebook group, I'm not going to say how that is. Say connected. And whatever your path is to come back, make sure that you have a path because you will thank yourself in three years' time and later down the track, but it will be hard because all of a sudden your heart is somewhere else. Your heart is staying at home, whether it's in the childcare centre or wherever that baby is, but you must stay You need to do that for them and for you. And I think for me, um, the other advice I'd give to women, young women starting out is there's all sorts of role models around. Don't think one role model has it all. Because I'm telling you, I've worked with incredible people that have had incredible flaws. I didn't focus on their flaws. I focused on what they gave me. And then you know what? I've got incredible flaws. So, you know, I think there's this perfectionism that exists today. And I see it in a lot of them where they go, well, I, this isn't what my plan was, so I'm giving up. I'm not, well, they can't go overseas at the moment, but I'm just, I'm throwing the towel in and it doesn't work. My, you know what? 
that's not the way life is. There is no perfect plan or perfect road, but that's what makes life exciting and interesting. So I think the last tip is don't give up. Just lean in, make the most of the opportunity and realise that the people around you will have flaws too. Don't aim for perfectionism, but just try and, you know, lean in and bring your best self in every day. And if it isn't what you expected it and you can't see where the opportunity is, don't make rash decisions because, you know what, a career is built on many, many years and many, many choices. And just wherever you end up is never, it's always a journey. So make the most of it and enjoy yourself along the way. Nicole Sheffield, it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much and um, particularly for being so candid and giving so much of yourself. Thank you, Helen. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Executive producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson.